Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 99. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. Coffeeed up as usual. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. Hey, uh, today's part two of a discussion, isn't it? Uh, it feels a little bit weird that we didn't pre-record it, though. Yeah. Did you want to just go ahead and reflect on the main points of what you're going to say? Yeah, yeah. So in this discussion that we haven't had yet, um, I think the thing that I... No, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I do love sequels, John. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to charge right on the gate and start asking you questions. Does that sound good? I think we should mention that this is um, a discussion about my one-year anniversary at Google Cloud. So it's it's basically a one-year check-in. Um, so part one, we talked about, you know, a little bit of, you know, what I'd learned. And then part two, um, well, I guess we're just going to have to dive right into it. Okay. Sounds good. So you mentioned in part one that you are a customer engineer at Google Cloud. Now, what are the different advancement levels within the customer engineer role? I know that, you know, at VMware, you have senior staff senior staff, principal, and other companies have something similar. So I'm curious what it's like at Google. Yeah, so um, at Google, there are definitely levels. Uh, generally, entry level is L3, um, L just indicating level, and then three indicating you know what the number of the level. So generally it's L3, L4, L5, L6, and L7 as individual contributor roles. And so L5 is, I think, this is just anecdotally, I don't know this for sure. I've, my understanding is that L5 is kind of the the promotion from L4 to L5 is kind of the last one that the manager can ha kind of have like sole discretion on, I, you know, and I'm not even sure of that. Um, L5 to L6, you really need to have like a strong justification and it gets, you know, heavy, heavy scrutiny. Same thing for L6 to L7. Um, I don't know what that scrutiny is like, having never gone through a promotion cycle um, where I was up for promotion at Google. Um, but you know those individual contributor roles, especially uh, um, for you know customer engineers at Google Cloud, that corresponds from L3 to L7, as far as I understand. All of those things are really you know your technical background and the complexity of work that you're doing and capable of doing on a consistent basis. So, you know, as you go up and level, you know, the expectation gets raised, you know, rises um, higher and higher. So, you know, you might be, you know, an outperformer at L4, but that might be kind of just the regular expectation of L5, right? So you have to, you know, gauge those things. Now, as far as what those are called, you know, there aren't any changes at Google Cloud right now. It's just customer engineer, customer engineer, customer engineer. Um, 
There is, there does seem to be a new role called Enterprise Cloud Architect that is aligned with the customer engineering role that I think most of those people are L6 and L7. But I don't know if that means that if you are hired as an L6 or L7 person, you're automatically an Enterprise Cloud Architect. I, you know, to be honest, I th it, it has different job descriptions. So I assume that the expectation is different. They, they seem to use them in a slightly different way. Um, they just happen to report to the exact same um, managers that the customer engineers report to. So that's kind of uh, my vision of how it goes. No real changes in names. Like, so you don't know if someone's a customer engineer, someone's a customer engineer. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. And that's, that's good education for those that are listening. You know, when you work at a little bit larger company, oftentimes you can progress quite a bit as an individual contributor without being forced into a management type role. If you like that type of work. So they are out there. It doesn't necessarily have to be pre-sales. It is in this case, but those type of roles exist at a lot of different companies. Right. I don't know exactly how it works in the software engineering side of Google. Um, I understand it's a little bit different. Like you might, as an individual contributor, still be expected to kind of lead a team as you progress up the, the um, level rank. And then I don't know exactly how it works on the project management or product management or project management side. You know, maybe it's the same type of thing. Maybe it isn't. Um, so you know, maybe over time, as I get to know people better within the organization, we can have people on and have them talk about their, you know, career journey into product management or software engineering and figure out that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to suggest. You totally stole my line. Oh, sorry. That's okay. How about <laughs> this one? What's your take on, I mean, you mentioned this a little bit in relation to your customers. Mm-hmm. But what is your take on being more tied to cloud services than a lot of maybe the still somewhat infrastructure-centric solutions that you were before? Not that they were all that way, but... Right. Yeah, at VMware, you know, before I left, um, you know, VMware was starting to orient, reorient its uh, product along the lines of subscription services. And, you know, over time, it seems like that's, you know, happening more and more. Um, I remember one of our, you know, favorite new products at the time, and I think probably still is, is was Ravefront, right? Which is kind of like a, a time series data analytics uh, product. And, and that kind of thing is really cool. And it can really only be done in the cloud, right? With like, um, elastic storage and, you know, large amounts of compute to like throw out things so you can do things in real time. Um, so the, I think there's two different ways that, that I see things as being different. Um, first is, you know, as a service versus, um, something that is on premises, you know, when you, when you're buying something as a service, it just means that it's a managed service by somebody else and you consume it you know, in a certain way that's, it's done not in your data center, or it might even be done in your data center, but it's, it's owned and operated by somebody else. And they're just providing it to you in a specific way. Um, so, you know, that's one differentiation. And then the second is, you know, that, 
I don't know, this like this feeling of like cutting edge or bleeding edgeness that it gets associated with cloud services versus infrastructure. And and that part I have to say, I think my thinking about it has evolved. Um cloud services aren't inherently bleeding edge or cutting edge. For example, Office 365 is a managed cloud as a service, you know, provided as a service, but all it is is email, right? Email and calendaring and, and your office products. So, you know, is that bleeding edge? Is it exciting? It isn't actually. I think it's like one of the things that people were kind of tired of providing um, in the data center because it was potentially complex. It was, you know, potentially disastrous if any of that stuff went down. And at the same time, you know, you, you had to have it. Right. So it was just this kind of fundamental thing that everybody needed to have. Um, but now you could buy it as a service and, you know, more and more people are doing that, whether it's from Microsoft or it's from one of their, you know, many service providers. There's a lot of service providers that, that do exchange as a service, for example. Um, you know, so the email and calendaring, that kind of stuff. I mean, if you're in IT operations, that kind of stuff is kind of not that glamorous anyway. It's it's not boring. It's not exciting. Um, it's, you know, um, so, you know, to, to buy it as a service from somebody else who can just do it and then it becomes like, you know, you turn the faucet on and you get the water, hot water comes out. You know, that's the same thing for like you open your email client and your inbox is there and you open your calendar and your, you know, all that stuff is there. It's just delivered as a service and you it's just kind of the the everyday stuff that just has to happen and and ideally you know information technology stuff is starts to become that way the more mature it is and i just think that you know maybe some of the stuff that google has right now is it's earlier in that um hype cycle um so it's a little bit more stuff that you need a lot more knowledge to handle and some of those services you know google's has be gotten into the business of providing it and removing a lot of friction of of creating it and consuming it you know because it's a managed service and it's being provided and a lot of the stuff you know is easier um i think you know vmware is in that business too um a, an example where there's like a crossover of products is in kubernetes so Google has a managed Kubernetes service, and so does VMware. And that VMware service can be, um, you know, some of that management can be done on-prem or it can be done in the cloud, right? Same thing for Google. Google can provide that on-prem or in the cloud. So, you know, that it takes away a lot of the friction of starting up and managing Google, Kubernetes instances. That doesn't mean that using Kubernetes is easy, because there's still a lot of stuff that you need to create. And then, you know, you need to really be building applications that are based on Kubernetes, you know, that, that scale in order for that to really make sense at all. But um, just at least that friction of getting Kubernetes up and running um, is taken away and you don't need to, to handle that anymore. And that, you know, that's a big deal. I think that, you know, whether or not, you know, that's the only problem that you have. At least, you know, you're handling that first part of starting up and um, getting it up and running. So like that initial consumption barrier goes away. And then I think that the more mature 
those products are and the more time gets put into making it easy to consume and the more turnkey it becomes. You know, an, another example of this would be machine learning or data warehousing. Like the more that becomes an everyday thing that just becomes part of your everyday work and life, um, the less glamorous that becomes and the more like infrastructure it becomes and the more like, uh, I would say commodity it becomes, right? So, you know, over time, everything becomes just something that you consume as infrastructure. But, you know, for right now, a lot of the products that the cloud companies are focusing on are a little bit earlier in that um, maturity cycle. And so a little bit more difficult to use. And a lot of the value comes from, oh, I don't need to set up all the stuff to get it up and running. Sure. That totally makes sense. Now, I want to dovetail onto that in a way, John. A lot of people will go and work for a vendor because they're really passionate about the technology. They mm -hmm. love it. They love using it. In your case, you had used Google Cloud Services to some extent. Mm -hmm. Maybe not as much, not near as much as you'd use VMware products before working at VMware. So do you feel like you've achieved that passion for the technology now that you're in it constantly? Or is there still some work to be done there? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, the, the answer is yes. Um, yeah, I'm really, it's, you're pointing out something that's really interesting that I hadn't really thought about. Um, which is that, you know, before I went to work for VMware, I was really excited about all the products and services that VMware had under its, you know, umbrella to make work easier. And it was stuff that I wish that I'd had access to earlier on in my career. And I went, you know, this, everybody needs to have this, you know, and being involved in bringing it, you know, to larger and larger, larger and larger audiences was really exciting. So when I came to Google Cloud, you know, that was a little bit more, um, I wanted to say cloudy, but uh, that doesn't seem to, yeah. That they they pay him to say that. Just uh, remember that. No, uh, you know, I regret saying it already. It it wasn't as clear. It wasn't as clear to me, you know, what that business value was, and and those differentiating factors from other cloud companies. So that was a big part of what I was asking during the interview process. Right? It's like, well, you know, what is it that's being sold? You know, where is the money being made? Um, you know, what is the value that customers find from these products and, and why are the Google ones different from anybody else's? So, you know, that was a very big part of it. And then, you know, actually diving deep once I was on the inside, you know, the, the curtain got lifted a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more over this past year of like, oh, wow, these are really exciting products. And, and in fact, you know, I don't know why I didn't know about some of these things before or... Yeah, you know, things like artificial intelligence and machine learning were a little bit hand wavy for me before. It's like something that someone say as like a buzzword and you're supposed to know like, oh, then that means that's really good. Oh, it's machine. There's machine learning involved in that. Oh, wow. Then it must be really good. You know, we don't we don't say artificial intelligence and machine learning, John. We just say AI and ML. Right. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah even we don't better. even have to say the words. Right. That's how you officially wave the hand. <laughs> oh yeah, there's there's a lot of ML involved in that. Yeah, that's that's why it's so good is because of all the ML, right? And and you know that, I think, that hand waviness has gone away, right? So now I understand what machine learning is and what infrastructure you need to have in place in order for machine learning 
to really work and why you'd want to use machine learning and what types of problems it can solve. And, and, you know, that is a little bit different from before, right? Before it was pretty hand-waving. Oh yeah, Google has really good machine learning. Why do I care? You know, was, you know, I didn't know. So being able to articulate, you know, what, what types of problems that can help solve is a really big part of the job. And, you know, if you don't know it going in, then you have to learn it, right? So it's one of the things that I kept on asking over and over. I don't, I don't know that I can articulate this to somebody else. So obviously people have, you know, recorded internal training sessions of like what it is, you know, Google's um, artificial intelligence offerings. What are the machine learning offerings and, and how do you describe them to other people? What kinds of problems can they solve? And, and that is really, really helpful. Same thing for, you know, the data management, the data pipelines, the analytics stuff, you know, all of those things are things that are, um, you know, very, very, uh, I want to say, you know, valuable in, in the, when you have the right problem to solve, um, there it's, it's like a toolbox and at the same time you need to build solutions with the tools, right? So, um, in order to have a specific solution for a specific industry, you know, you kind of like have like a model and uh, model architecture where, you know, this is where you pull the data from. These are the, this is the kind of pathway that the data takes, how we enrich the, enrich the data here, and then how we bring value and insight from the data here. Right. So un until you understand that, and then you can go and articulate that value to somebody else, it, it just doesn't, necessarily make any sense right and you have to understand the types of problems that are being solved for that i mean okay so street streaming data analytics for example is a is a classic you know problem for specific types of industries and that is the exact problem that wavefront from vmware is solving it's like you're streaming um lots and lots of data to an analytics engine and you don't want to have to worry about the amount of storage that it's taking, and you want to be able to extract insight from all the data that's streaming into the analytics engine, right? So building that kind of thing, you know, from from a toolbox or, you know, from a model infrastructure is, you know, extremely valuable. You have to have a problem that that can solve. You know, I'm, you know, all this data is going in real time, and I want to be able to extract, you know, insights from it in real time. And I want to be able to look back in time, you know, so what kinds of problems can you do that with? Well, the types of problems that Wavefront is solving, like, you know, real time, like, um, correlating, you know, uh, network problems with application performance problems. Um, maybe security is another thing, right? Like, could you ingest all your security signals from your entire infrastructure and then be able to go back like, you know, months or even years to say, Hey, you know, I don't actually know, you know, when this breach happened, but, you know, did, do I have any security signals that go back five years so I can see, you know, when things started behaving, you know, differently from the baseline, you know, that kind of thing. So that's, uh, you know, all of those things, I don't even know the question that I was answering, but I mean, I guess maybe the, the quick, the, the quick answer is yes, I've definitely gained passion about the products and become, you know, even more excited about the types of problems that are able to be solved. Um, so, yeah. That's good. Hopefully you haven't had any opposition to getting your own little lab environment so you can play with a lot of these. Yeah, I actually have a Google Cloud. I'm 
on on my desk off to my right and uh i don't i don't have one of those sorry yeah i was gonna say i can't see it in the shot here but <laughs> <laughs> it's not on camera i'll adjust my camera no no we we definitely are able to spin up lab environments and and play around with the products and you know that that is the number one thing you know way that i learn is actually by using things so um you know i was learning about you know our data warehouse product and the the analytics that I can do. And so I went, Oh, I wonder if I can set up a little like COVID-19 like tracker by County. So I ingested one of the, the public data sources that's, you know, free on Google cloud under the data warehousing, uh, product. And then, you know, turned around and massaged it and then got like a daily change. And so, and then I used like a different product to like kind of graph it and I went, Oh, here, here's my little dashboard for daily COVID-19, um, new infections on a on a county by county basis and you know that helped me understand really what the the power of this you know data warehousing product was that didn't involve any machine learning but you know if i wanted to try to create a model for um you know predicting like new infections and maybe i could do that you know that maybe that would be the next step is to go oh what like public events you know happened like what news stories occurred and and, you know, ingest a bunch of signals that way and then say, oh, like based on all this, like we expect, you know, infections to go up, uh, you know, by X percent in the next, you know, few days in this county and then see if that happens. But, you know, I haven't actually been that interested in doing that. I have a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like the next project you can blog about. Well, how about this one? Let me let me turn it just a little bit back toward our career part. Sure. What about cultural changes? You know, we talk about the culture within an organization. How is that different? And what would you point out that you had to get adjusted to? Oh, yeah. On the Google side. Um, I think I talked about our in-person or in-office um, culture. That was like a really big thing that I needed to get adjusted to was going into the office every day and and I did adjust to it and I came to really value it. And to this day, I, I still kind of miss it. Um, and you know, I don't miss the commute. I think, like I said last time, but I do miss, um, being able to bump into my colleagues and have my desk, you know, near them and, and talk about what it is that we're doing and what we're working on and, and pick their brains about, you know, different types of things and problems that I'm facing. Um, go to lunch with people like that are slightly outside my team, like, but say like the specialists that I call in for different kinds of issues, you know, going out to lunch with them and, you know, finding out the kinds of things that they work on and, and pick their brains and, and so on and so forth. And I think, you know, especially when you're new in an organization, that kind of thing is just so valuable. Um, and to be honest, I don't know how I did it without that, <laughs> um, uh, at VMware. I, I, that's like foggy in my memory, how I was able to spin up. I just must've done a bunch of studying on my own and watched a bunch of videos. That's the only thing that I can think of. Yeah. I wish I had a, a we were doing the podcast then, and then I could have, uh, listened back to one year review and figured out how I did that. But you know, I, I was able to, to shadow some people um, at Google Cloud and sit in on their calls and, and sit in on, on meetings where, you know, something was going on and, um, you know, do my best to not say anything. That's, that's always a struggle for me. Um, 
and then yeah like you know just over time you start exercising those muscles and you get better and better at it but yeah so you know that culture of being in person in the office that that was a, a pretty big adjustment i would say the next one like chronologically was probably the sales process it's a little bit different um from every different sales organization i'm sure but it was brand new to me to be assisting a salesperson in their efforts to to drive business but then also to follow through afterwards and help drive consumption right because those are the in when you're selling services like the customer can say, okay, yeah, that sounds great. But then if they don't ever use the thing, then we don't ever bill for it. And even if they signed a, a contract to pay for it, no matter how much they used, you know, everybody's really unhappy at the end of it if they're, they've, you know, not consumed much of it, you know, and have still have to pay for it. So it's, I was just going to say, it sounds like there's an element of customer success there that's built into your role. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is absolutely true. So it's a little bit different there is, you know, helping to onboard them into Google Cloud, helping them to, you know, set up their organizations and um, set up their security and then, you know, actually start using the product on a day-to-day basis. Um, now, you know, some of that is just helping to find different use cases within the organization, right? So finding another way that they can use the stuff that they've already started to gain expertise on to bring even more value to the organization means that they're going to consume more of it. But, you know, obviously every one of those use cases needs to be, oh, you know, you pay X, but you get some multiplier of X of value out of it, either in save time or, or, you know, getting to market faster, you know, more revenue for the customer organization and so on and so forth. This seems like from a career progression standpoint, once again, you had to flex maybe a little bit different muscle than before. Yeah, yeah. To be involved in that consumption side and, you know, a little bit more of a customer success, you know, role. Um, Now, I I have to say, you know, that is still a little bit speculative in, in my part, basically because most of the reps that I'm supporting are, um, looking at greenfield customers, customers that aren't really significant consumers of Google Cloud right now. So not having really sat through the process of then helping to, to drive a customer, you know, consumption that the one of my reps, you know, kind of closed their first big deal, you know, within the last couple of months. So it's only now that I'm starting to get involved in that um, monitoring of consumption and, and being involved in that customer success part of the deal. We'll have to follow up more again on your next check-in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I would say next chronologically was being involved in hiring interviews. That's not really something that I ever did at VMware. Um, I always offered, you know, my various, uh, um, managers that, you know, I'd be happy to help them with tech screen or culture screen or, or where, whatever the process was. Um, but that just never happened. Um, at Google cloud, and maybe this is just a Google, um, you know, writ large thing. Um, all of the interviewing is done, not none of the interviewing is done by the hiring managers 
as kind of a, a rule. You know, the hiring managers might uh, get involved a little bit later in the process, but all of the initial screening and uh, the major interviews to, you know, to be qualified to get hired at Google is done by people that aren't actually that hiring manager. So um, there's a bunch of different interviews. There's role-related knowledge, there's general cognitive ability, and then there's uh, leadership and Googliness. Those are those two are generally combined into one interview. Um, the role-related knowledge interviews involve like two people. Um, so mostly those are two uh, frontline customer engineers um, asking role-related knowledge questions to somebody who's you know who's looking to become a customer engineer at Google. Um, general cognitive ability is usually a frontline uh, person, uh, individual contributor who is trying to you know understand how the prospective customer engineers uh, thinking and problem solving work. Um, but it doesn't need to be a customer engineer, but it generally is. And then leadership and Googliness is, is done by yet another like frontline person, you know, not necessarily a manager. So, you know, that is one, two, three, four people, four individual contributors that are involved in every um, hiring process for a Google customer engineer. So that means a lot more individual contributors get involved in that interviewing. So I went through the training and then, you know, having gone through that process a bunch of times, you know, you start to calibrate what it is, understand better and better what's being looked for. And it actually helped me understand better and better, like what my process, you know, must have looked like. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very clear now, like all of the things that are in the, you know, careers.google.com, you know, it, it seemed very opaque to me at the time. You know, there's like a, a link there that says how we hire. And it just, didn't seem clear. And now on the other side, I'm like, Oh, yeah, they're like, that means exactly what it says. But the implications of that aren't necessarily clear to somebody who's reading it. So, um, you know, that is maybe something that I could explain to somebody and actually anybody who's like kind of pinged me on LinkedIn or Twitter and said, Hey, can you like coach me through this process? I've been happy to do that. So I've done that a bunch of times for people that I just don't know, who reached out to me. Um, you know, when that happens, you know, at, at least once it's happened where somebody's asked me for coaching and then like the, the Google like hiring team has said, Hey, can you come like interview this person? And I've gone, well, actually no, cause they asked me for help. <laughs> but, um, uh, anyway, that, that's been very interesting. Now it sounds like you might have actually done interviews for people who weren't going for customer engineer roles as well. Is that accurate no. or were they all? going for the same role you have they're all going for the same role that i have okay. um so either customer engineer or that enterprise cloud architect which is you know reports the same manager um but is a l6 or l7 exclusively yeah so i think that only one person that i've interviewed so far has been hired but i haven't really kept strict track of that at, at least one person that i interviewed has been hired and that's in I want to say 10 interviews um, I, I would say though that anybody who's looking to 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 go through that process of applying for a job you know whether at Google or somewhere else I would look at that careers.google.com 
um, how we hire section, there's some really good advice and guidance that really matches some of the stuff that we've talked about. That is going through a process of self-reflection to help you understand what it is that you're looking for, the type of role that would make you happy. Um, some guidance on how to effectively write a resume with, you know, impact statements and, and actual, you know, data to back up, you know, each of your achievements. Um, it describes the interview process and, and the decision and offer process as well. So like I said before, you know, I've been happy to coach anybody through that process, you know, if they're applying for a, a customer engineering role at Google and, and I'm happy to extend that offer again. It's, um, I think, I, I hope that it makes me, you know, if there's a point in time where I have to interview for a job in the future, I assume there will be, I feel like it's made me a much more effective person at going through that process. So there's that. Um, let me see. There is one more thing I would say. Um, the performance review process is very different from anything that I've gone through before. And, and maybe that's just because, you know, the, the last two gigs that I had before Google Cloud just didn't have much um, of a formal process that affected me. Um, I don't know that I ever prepared any material for a performance review while I was at VMware. Um, I did get some like performance feedback from my managers and, and, you know, I was happy to hear it and, you know, get that feedback and promotions and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, that is very different from Google. Like Google has like a twice a year formal performance review process where you have to do a pretty deep introspection, um, a self-assessment. Um, it's deep enough that I would say it's not a good idea to do it during the performance review process. Like you want to kind of write like on a weekly basis, oh, here's something that, you know, I did that would be good for my performance review, um, you know, to point out as an achievement. Um, you have to ask for peer reviews. So having a couple people that, you know, could, can give you some good peer feedback is, is always helpful. Um, you know, it's, it was just a really involved process. I've gone through it a couple of times now. Um, I would say it's less intimidating than the first time, but the first time it was extremely intimidating. I did not know what they were asking me for. And my manager explained it to me very clearly, you know, Hey, I'm just looking for this and this, and that just didn't make any sense to me, especially early on where what I had really done was gone through the training and, and successfully gone through training. <laughs> that was my accomplishment, right? So to, to be able to say, oh, you know, articulate what impact I had, you know, on my peers or anything that was, it was really hand wavy. Um, having been involved, you know, in the actual, you know, boots on the ground job now, you know, it's a little bit more clear, like to talk about what it is that I've done. Um, but you know, that it's still, you know, I think, I might just have to go through it a couple more times before it becomes a little bit routine. It's definitely not routine. It sounds pretty involved to me. And I remember you saying that it was just kind of in passing when we had talked before, but it sounds like it's a really good exercise to stay on top, to be forced to stay on top of all the accomplishments you've made and to be able to filter out the most important that 
your management would want to hear about and know about, that's good practice for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually have a weekly task now, like that pops up on a Friday that goes, Hey, you know, look at your meetings for the week and pull out anything that might be, um, relevant to a performance review conversation, you know, for the upcoming review process. And then like a reminder of like what those things would look like <laughs> because, um, just needing to understand that. At, at your employers before VMware, did you have a formal review process once a year or something like that? Um, no, I would just, the clean answer is no. Like, I think I was delivered a performance review, like, you know, like, Hey, here's how we think you're doing, you know, at, at my gig before VMware. Um, but not anything that I had to prepare any material for that. I had to ask for peer reviews, you know, like, um, to give peer reviews for other people, you know, nothing like that. So. Yeah. I haven't done one with peer reviews, but I've done some where, you know, you answer some questions, your manager answers the same set of questions and you talk about the difference in the answers. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a, I didn't get any feedback until the readout process, right? So you go through, you know, here's how, here's how I think I'm doing and here's some peer reviews and here's the impact that I think I've had. And then months later you get this like feedback process of here's the rating that you got. Um, and that goes from like at the bottom, I think is needs improvement and then above that as consistently meets expectations and then exceeds expectations. And then there's like a SEE. I don't remember what that means. Like severely, ex you know, exceeds expectations or something like that. <laughs> or um, let's promote you to level seven today. <laughs> <laughs> now is a certain number of those that exceeds expectations. Is that what gets you promoted to the next level? Is that how it works? I think it must be something like that, to be quite honest. I think in order to get promoted, you need to put together a packet, a promotion packet, meaning here's what I've done, here's what I've accomplished, here's why I think that I should be promoted, here's what the metrics for the next level are, you know, the meets expectations, consistently meets expectations, I'm already meeting that, and I'm at, you know, this like, extremely like, you know, always, you know, exceeding expectations or, you know, I think you have to consistently, um, uh, I think strongly exceeds expectations is the SEE and, uh, superb, right? So you want at least one exceeds expectations, you know, maybe a consistently meets expectations and exceeds expectations would be, you know, if you have those two in your previous, um, two reviews, then I think it's something along the lines of you'd want at least that in order to even go through the process of submitting a promotion packet. And then, you know, probably you'd be on the weak side, you know, cause you're competing with people who are, you know, exceeds, exceeds or exceeds and strongly exceeds or superb, superb or strongly exceeds and superb, you know, like, so, um, you know, there's, they try to calibrate all of those, um, statements on on uh, what your 
review feedback is so that that's a, the same across teams and across the entire organization. So when you do go up and you're competing, maybe there's only so many spots to, to make like the next step up. And, you know, so if the people's like feedback ratings aren't calibrated with each other, then it doesn't make any sense. Right. Because, you know, you want like superb to mean superb everywhere and strongly exceeds means strongly exceeds, you know, it's the same standard everywhere. So, you know, that, that's, that's really, really important. But I mean, that all of that, to be honest, it seems like really rough on the management. Like, you know, the managers just have to like process all this information and then go and discuss and, and have all this introspection into, um, their reports, you know, and justify why they're giving people different, you know, levels or, you know, they think, you know, what somebody's, uh, performance review packet means a specific level, um, to make sure that it's calibrated to what everybody else is giving. Um, again, or else it doesn't make sense, right? You don't want the same level of effort to mean different things to different managers and under different directors or organizations or to different VPs, right? So, because you might, yeah. you might switch organizations in the middle of your career and have, you know, work for one part of Google in for one performance review section and then a different part of Google you know, in a different performance review section. And then, you know, you, you want those performance review ratings to mean the same thing or else it's just not fair. Right. Well, speaking of that, John, let's dive into it. Has your professional development strategy changed at all now that you're part of Google cloud? Yes. So, you know, to have like that very specific metric of, you know, and it's a, it's very clear that the job descriptions at each of the levels is very clear. So you want to be able to articulate what it is that you're doing on a weekly basis and how it's meeting those job descriptions or exceeding those jobs just descriptions, right? Strongly outperforming, you know, on, on this, this metric, you know, when I'm customer facing, you know, I delivered this, you know, in an amazing way. You know, so recording that stuff every week, it's not really something that I was doing to be, you know, candidly honest, I would maybe once a month go and look and see like, you know, where my career stuff was going, like where the skills that I wanted to gain, where am I and, and acquiring those skills and so on and so forth. Like that has become weekly now. And I think in order to, to really, you know, make it <laughs> be a good process, you know, when I go through my next performance cycle, that just has to happen. Otherwise, it's just this avalanche of work and trying to recreate what you did, you know, six weeks ago or nine weeks ago. And like, that was that meeting, like which work stream was it, you know, relevant to, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, you know, it's, it's kind of impossible to do. You have to do it at least weekly. And if, you know, you have a great meeting or have a great outcome or have a great process, then recording it right in that moment is even better. I would say the next part of that is documenting everything that I'm doing. That's something that I don't know why I wasn't doing it before, like kind of, you know, account plans and, and overviews of customers and, you know, my view of the customer that kind of just lived in like a, 
a sales deck or a deck that my reps owned and that it would change every single quarter, like what that format was and, and, you know, how we presented that. And, and so it just never seemed right for me to maintain things in a specific format. Now, like I ignore like a slide deck format. I need to write down a narrative in a document about what I think the state of the customer is. So here's my overview of the customer, just a summary of what it is that they do and, and maybe what um, products and services are relevant to them, what they view as success if I, if I understand it, um, what, what are their barriers, um, maybe some history and context. You know, um, I just do like, a, like an indented version of what I think a, an org chart looks like, you know, and who reports to who. Um, and with links out to LinkedIn, if, if I have been able to find them on LinkedIn, um, and then, you know, a list of every single engagement that we have, like, um, an engagement, meaning there's somebody within the organization has asked us for something and we've been able to kind of had a, um, discussion over time about something. Now, you know, sometimes that's about product, sometimes it's just about, you know, the use of technology in general, but, you know, I just kind of track all those things, you know, whether or not it is a sales conversation, um, because, you know, I need to be able to articulate like my narrative of my engagement with this customer and all the things that I've done and all the parts of the business that I've been, you know, engaged with, because that's really important for my performance review, but it's also just really important to understand the customer. Right. And I don't know why I wasn't doing it before, but it's just been much, much more helpful. Well, it's also really good if the account team changes and you need to hand that over. That's exactly right. And not having to like create it on the fly, you know, or just say, here's like, a, you know, 1400 like documents, you know, which are just meeting notes. Right. So in, in my case, you know, every single engagement might have like some lists to, to, to meetings, and, you know, you can go to those meeting notes and see what I thought at the time, but I try to abstract that into, you know, like um, descriptive sections inside the engagement, right? And then every single engagement, you know, if it becomes substantive, creates, you know, warrants its own breakout document, um, which I hyperlink out to um, from that, from that uh, overall customer document. Um, and just being able to keep organized that way has been amazing. It's just, it's done wonders for my organizational um, life and not forgetting tasks and stuff that I, that I have to do. Now, you know, just having that was one thing. I actually had to do a visual map of that as well, using a, you know, a, like a charting product. Um, but, you know, those two things together to have like a visual map of, you know, the hierarchy of all the different customers and, you know, where I have... Um, just overall documents and then where I also have breakout engagement documents for each customer, you know, that's been really helpful. And when I need to, for example, when I need to call a specialist in and say, Hey, I need to have something, I need your help on this. I can just hand them an engagement document that has exactly what it is that I think that they need to know about this customer. And then a link back to the overall customer document if they want to, you know, educate themselves a little bit more deeply about all the different parts of the, the, the overall customer engagement. Um, and yeah. I, yeah, I don't know why I didn't do that before, but I do it now and it's, you know, really shame on you. 
Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a great habit to be in. I think mm-hmm. we could all use a little bit more of that kind of organization. You said break out a couple of different times. So mm-hmm. have you ever thought of breaking out into a different type of role inside of Google? Do you see yourself sliding over into something else? Is it too early to tell? Have you thought about it? Um, I think it's too early to tell right now. I think I need to be able to say, like, think of myself as a strongly exceeds exceeds expectations person on a regular basis, right? Um, Before I go, oh, well, I need to think about my growth and and how to to move around, right? Um, So I haven't really thought about that. Um, I think I could maybe be useful in a management position, you know, if, if we ever are in a position to like expand, you know, teams like massively and need, you know, experienced people. But I, I, I feel like I should probably be, you know, similar, like I should be, you know, exceeds expectations a couple of times or, you know, exceeds and strongly exceeds. Um, um, so that, you know, I have a history of being a strong performer and having, you know, being able to say, oh yeah, John's like articulated a point of view and, and influenced, you know, you know, the direction that Google needs to go in as Google cloud needs to go in as far as products, you know, from what he's done. And, you know, with that, you know, maybe I could, you know, justify something. I'm pretty excited about all the different product lines, but none of them has really jumped out at me and it made me think, oh, like I need to like devote, you know, a big chunk of the next part of my career to that exclusively. Um, nothing yet, but you know, if that ever happened, you know, I'd be happy to do it. Um, who knows? Yeah. You never know. Okay. That's good stuff. Good to know. And if you want to know more about specialist versus generalist, I believe it was episode 36. The specialist generalist divide was a great episode. Uh, as you mentioned there now, how about this one, John? All things considered, was making this change a year later Mm -hmm. after the change, is it what you expected it would originally be or has it become slightly different in good or bad ways? Yeah, I would say I didn't know what to expect. I knew that it was going to be a little bit traumatic because it always is to go from a place where you're very comfortable um, to something that's brand new because you're walking away from all of the contacts and internal knowledge and and reflexes that you've built up um, about your job and, and how to navigate internal structures of an organization. And you're walking to something completely new. And it's honestly taken me a year to get to the point where I'm like comfortable inside the new organization and understand like all the different, you know, most of the different parts of it and how they interact. Like, I, I'm still, like, not 100% sure how we interact with, like, outside Google Cloud, to be honest. Like, that seems to be kind of a, um, unclear, right? Um, but that, with that in mind, like, you know, I just, it had been long enough since I joined VMware that I didn't remember how traumatic it was to join VMware and not know all that stuff. So I'm glad that we are having the opportunity for me to record uh, how 
difficult it was at first to walk away from all that institutional knowledge and have zero institutional knowledge, right? Because I, I knew like basic mappings. Here's, you know, like we're generalists and we, you know, do things this way and we, you know, handle customers this way. How do we call in specialists? This is how we do it. You know, none of that stuff was clear to me. You know, how do we do it? When do we do it? You know, what, why do we call this team instead of this team? You know, when do we go to product management instead of specialists? You know, none of that was clear to me. And it, you know, I've had to like kind of articulate that to myself in a separate document. Um, that of course, <laughs> you know, hopefully, so a that Google, I, a Google Sheets document or it's a, Google it's, Doc, excuse me. It's a Google Doc, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I share out all, you know, hey, here's my training plan um, when people join. And then, you know, a couple of weeks or a month later, I say, oh, and here's what you need to know to actually do the job. Like once you're through training, like here's how you get support for somebody who is just in a proof of concept and hasn't bought anything yet. Here's how to, um, here's how to start a successful proof of concept. Here's how to do this and that and the other, like all the kinds of, you know, tactical things, like kind of the day-to-day, -day, like meat and potatoes, like tasks. You know, how do you get this done? How do you get this done? How do you get this done? That's, it's taken me a while to learn all that. And then you don't really know it until you can teach somebody else to do it, right? So. Of course. Yeah. That's one of the highest forms of understanding, being yeah. able to teach someone else. What about keeping in touch with former colleagues? Well, I keep in touch with you, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I Indeed. On my, on my previous team, I like... You know, I don't want every interaction with them to be around how amazing Google is and hey, you should come with me because that's that's not good, right? I don't I don't want I don't ever want any previous manager of mine to go, oh, John's leaving, like he's gonna you know come after my team and you know take all my best people like that. That's never fair. Um, if somebody initiates a conversation with me about that, then I'm happy to talk to them. But I try to, you know, text and keep in touch with people, um, you know, once every six months. And if that's good with them and they respond positively, then I'll keep on doing that. Some people, like, they haven't reached out to me, you know, in response. So I'll just kind of, like, slowly let that, you know, back away. Oh, it's every six months? Okay, now it's every nine months. Okay. You didn't, you didn't like ever, you know, you might've replied, but you never like initiated a conversation with me. Then maybe I won't. Um, you know, is just, this all tracked in a document? No, I don't have that. It's just like by feel. <laughs> well, I mean, some people like, you know, want to be kept in touch I with and, ask it. and some people don't, you know, and, and I don't want to like ever impose my, you know, professional like collegiality and interaction with somebody who, just doesn't have time for it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Can't you can't make them stay in touch with you, but you can do your part. Yeah, exactly. So I think I've gone through almost everybody that I worked with at my previous team and reached out at least once. I think I still have a couple of people to go for. Good for you. I know not everybody is is so great about that when you enter a whole different world. Yeah. Whole another huge organization. Now, how about this one, John? As we get close to time to wrap, 
Anything else you'd like to add to the pile of what you've learned so far to share with our listeners? Yeah, I I just would suggest getting organized and like writing that narrative about the each of your projects and tasks and subtasks, you know, early, early on um, and get into that habit. I, I wish I'd been in that habit a little bit earlier. And um, yeah, like just that, that and that alone is like my one like massive learning that I've come away from. Um, you know, like if I had to summarize it, I would, you know, the second thing maybe um, is that kind of tracking like your major accomplishments and and how you're doing along, you know, versus your job description um, on a weekly basis and why you're outperforming. So if, you know, even if you don't have like a, a like a performance review process where you present something to your manager, like how powerful is it if you are able to like give your manager a packet that says, hey, when I know that you're going to performance review session, this is some stuff that I've written up about myself. I hope it helps. Like if they can like, you know, shortcut your performance review because you've written like 60 to 70% of it or any major portion of it, 30, 40%. I mean, that, that's half, that has to be better than, you know, them doing it for every single person. You know, like I had a manager who had like 10 people who reported, you know, up the chain. And it's like, okay, now that manager needs to recreate like how every single person is doing from memory over the past year. Like if I had given that manager a packet, you know, every, every performance review cycle, like that would have been better. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening out there and going every week, man, nobody does that. People do do that. Uh, is it a whip? No, probably not because it's very small, maybe five to 10 minute reflection. You know, you're going to yep. prioritize your day probably. So sit back and reflect on your week. There's probably some sort of reporting in whatever role you're in that has to go up to your manager in that same light. Think about the accomplishments and, and try and jot those down. I can tell you it does help and I wish I did it more myself. Yeah. That's a really big differentiator. I mean, and if you say, Hey, you know, that is not something that I care to do, then that's fine. But you also shouldn't like, complain like later on when you don't accomplish the things right because this is something that you can control whether you you are recording things that are relevant to your performance and then handing up like a summary like a nicely narrated summary document to your manager once a year before the performance review process you can control whether or not you do that now if you do it and then you, you get nowhere you know now you have like room to complain Right. But if you just chose not to do something to make it easy for your manager to write you up as being just an amazing employee, I mean, that that's well, not great. <laughs> I don't I don't think there's such a thing as doing it and getting nowhere, because if you do it at all, even if it's not once a week, which it probably should be. But even if it's once every two weeks or once a month, you are giving yourself more and more information to put on that resume when you get ready to look for a new job. Don't let it be a six to 12 hour ordeal in one sitting because you're not going to remember all the stuff. It's just not possible. That's absolutely true. I mean, 
you know, if I had to write a resume today and I could, you know, take some of the stuff that I've written on a weekly basis and say, oh, yeah, like I organized this amazing workshop, you know. And so, you know, if I had to write it, write it in a resume format, then, you know, I could do that as well. Right. So it, it benefits me both ways. You know, performance review, resume, like getting hired is very much like a much more structured performance review process for your last job going to a new job, right? So, you know, you have to do both those things, right? So, right. And, you know, John, don't forget to put in curated and produced 100 Nerd Journey episodes because we're coming up on 100. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this is going to be episode 99. We're, we're, 99. We'll have to do something special for episode 100. Yeah, well, if we don't stop talking, it's going to be 99 minutes long. Oh, my we goodness. Gotta, yeah, we, we better, be careful. better get out of here then. <laughs> any, any last things you want to add? No, no. I think uh, I've said what I needed to say in the last hour. All right. Sounds good. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners, and tune in next time as the journey continues and where it is not a John White monologue. Um, but with that being said, I am John White at V Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore signing off. Adios. Episode 100 is coming.